That's our declaration this morning, that we will put our trust in you, Lord God. We'll put our hope in you. We'll build our lives on you, on your love. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray for each person today, a fresh revelation of your deep, deep love for them. Thank you, Lord. There's nothing we can do this morning that can make you love us more. There's nothing we can do that will make you love us less. You are love and you love us, Lord. Holy Spirit, fresh revelation of your love. We've just been singing about it, Lord, but we need your love. We rely on your love. Thank you, God. You are love. You can't help but love us because you are love. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Why don't you grab a seat? Thank you, amazing team. How blessed are we with the worship team we have? How are you all going? Good. Let's get myself sorted. Well, this morning I've titled the message, When Love Comes to Town, we lay the welcome mat down. It rhymes, a little bit cheesy, but I thought it fitted. So last week, as Ben's already said, uh, Rob Badman preached a cracker of a message. Thanks, Rob. He puts lots and lots of hours of work in. He preached about uh, James chapter 1 and gave us a bit of an overview of James. So if you didn't see it, jump on board and have a look. So in chapter 1, James talks about trials and temptations. And he asks the question, will you remain steadfast during the testing of your faith so that you learn how to persevere, so that you grow up spiritually? So actually, none of us love tests, if we're really honest. I don't, don't know know if you do, but we need tests to make us stronger, don't we? It builds strength, builds resilience in us. So today we're going to look at chapter 2 of James, but first of all, I've brought my favourites. Who loves a box of favourites? The beauty of favourites is there's always one of your favourites in there. All of us have favourites. So let's see what's in here. I'm feeling generous. Just going to spray these around. Feel free just to grab them. Sport wasn't my favourite subject, wasn't very good at netball, so I apologise in advance if I hit anyone in the head. Here we go. Woo! <laughs> so I'm sure, if you, um, I'm sure if you delve into a box of favourites, there's something there. There's the Cadbury Dairy Milk for the purist who loves the dairy milk. There's the Cadbury Old Gold, literally the OG of chocolate. It's my favourite. Maybe a crunchy or a picnic, maybe a boost... Anyone like the Fry's Turkish Delight? Yeah, that's right. You go. So many people go, no. What's wrong with you, Kathy? I love a good Turkish Delight. That's Chris's and my favourite. So um, not very good for your teeth. Get stuck in your teeth. Not good for cavities. So the reality is we all have favourites, right? You've got your favourite restaurant, your favourite meal at the favourite restaurant, maybe your favourite colour that you wear. I like purple, blue, black. Maybe your favourite shoes, you need your favourite shoes, right? They're the comfortable ones, but kind of cool. Maybe your favourite place to holiday, your favourite movie, your favourite book. Speaking of favourites, I must admit that James is not my favourite book to read. The reason is, 
it kind of makes me feel uncomfortable. I was thinking about this. James is the book most likely to make us, the comfortable ones, feel very uncomfortable. Have you noticed that? It's because it's a kind of book. I like John because it makes me feel warm and fuzzy. He makes me feel loved. It's my favourite book. James is kind of up close and personal. He challenges us. And I think it's really the Holy Spirit who challenges us through it. I love what Ray Andrews says. He always says, how good was Ray a couple of weeks ago, by the way? If you missed that message, jump on board, watch that as well. He says this, I've never known anyone to make me feel more uncomfortable than the comforter, the Holy Spirit. Have you noticed that? He's supposed to make us feel warm and fuzzy. Sometimes he does, but sometimes he stirs us, right? So that's, that's what James does. He reminds us of very practical things. He stirs us. He makes us feel uncomfortable until we do what he says. And we can only do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. The thing I love about the Holy Spirit is he convicts, but he also enables, right? He doesn't really want to make you feel uncomfortable for no reason. He wants to take us out of our comfort zone. So today we're going to look at chapter 2 of James, and I'm going to read it for you from the NIV. But before I do that, can I encourage you, why not let the Holy Spirit stir you? Let him disturb you. Let him make you feel uncomfortable. Because at the other side of that is obedience to God and blessing. So let's read it. I'm going to read the whole of James 2. As, as Rob said last week, it's pretty short, James 2, so it's pretty good. All right, I'm reading from the NIV. My brothers and sisters, that's us, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Ooh, really, James? Not just a bit? Suppose a man comes into your meeting. Come on up, sir. Wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, or perhaps the cool Pentecostal get-up, skinnies, hoodie, Adidas Continentals. Why don't you take a lovely seat there, sir? I've prepared a seat, not just in the front row, but the very front, front row. You can keep an eye on the people, let me know if they fall asleep. And suppose another man comes in, a poor man in filthy old clothes, maybe a homeless man, who lives under a bridge in Sydney somewhere. (laughs) If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes... (laughs) Oh, Jesus, help me. (laughs) The Pentecostal brother. And say, here's a good seat for you, sir. But say to the poor man, you stand there. or Actually, you can sit on the floor by my feet. Just sit there, thanks, brother. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Good. (laughs) Disappointed. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, 
you are doing right. Pay close attention to this next verse. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Come on, James, that's a bit tough. Really? Favoritism can't be that bad, surely. If you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Sila. I'm sure we've never been guilty of favoritism, right? For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. That's me. That's you. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. We've been singing about that this morning. Because judgment without mercy wow, will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Here's my favourite part of James 2. Mercy triumphs over judgment. How good is that? What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Now James gets a little bit sarcastic here. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Is it enough just to believe in the one God? You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Wasn't our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Can you imagine being Abraham, being asked by God to do that? And yet he was faithful. We know, of course, that God supplied, but Abraham was tested. You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous. Wow. For what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. There's a few things to think about there, isn't there? So James gets really up close and personal, doesn't he? When he addresses these Jewish Christians. And obviously what he's saying, he's seen in action. Otherwise he wouldn't rebuke them in this way. 
He particularly addresses the way that they behave in their meetings. We're having a meeting right now, so let Holy Spirit speak to you as he wants to. I love too the the fact that James has a lot to say about economic injustice. You know, the world still has millions probably of people who are in poverty, right? So my first point, and it's really simple, I've just got two points this morning because James 2 is so simple. The first point is this, James says, let love rule your life. It's so simple, isn't it? Probably easy to say, easy to understand, harder to do. In a world where so many things can rule us, James encourages us, let love rule your life. And my subtitle this morning is The Failings of Favouritism or The Problem with Prejudice. So James is addressing Jewish Christians and he wants that they're well aware of the law and he wants them to be aware of the one law, the higher law. And it's in verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, this is what James says, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. So when James speaks of this royal law, he's referring to the Torah, the laws of Moses, and they were ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ, right? So you could say that the royal law could be summarised as, as the golden rule. You may have heard of the theory of the golden rule, the silver rule and the iron rule, three rules of human conduct. So the golden rule states this, love your neighbour as yourself or do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So it's really stating the positive. Jesus, of course, spoke of that, doing the more than, blessing your brother. The silver rule has sometimes been described as the golden rule, but in a negative form. You could say it's the golden rule without the gold. It talks about what not to do. So the silver rule says this, what you do not wish done to you, do not do to others. So the silver rule would forbid you, say, robbing your neighbour's wallet because you wouldn't like that done to you. But if you found a wallet containing, let's say, $200 in the Penrith Plaza um, parking lot, the silver rule is kind of mute. It doesn't speak to that. It, in effect, leaves you with the option finders, keepers, losers, weepers, which, of course, isn't the right response as Christians. And then finally, there is the iron rule, which states might is right. The iron rule uses power and intimidation to enforce control. The iron rule was something that the people in James's day would have been very familiar with because that's the, the rule that the Romans used to conquer the Roman Empire. If you've ever looked at a map of the Roman Empire at that time, it goes right across most of Europe. Julius Caesar, we all know about his military exploits. His inscription after a famous victory read, I came, I saw, I conquered. Pretty arrogant, right? So against these rules, James says this, against what would appeal to human nature. He says in verse 8, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. 
it doesn't come naturally to human nature, does it? We want to look after number one. We want to look after ourselves. But that's, that's what James encourages us to do. That's what God wants us to do. So with that in mind, James gets onto the topic of favouritism or prejudice very quickly in this part of the letter. He couldn't actually be plainer. So in verse 1 he says this, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favouritism. It's pretty plain, isn't it? There's kind of no getting away from it. So why is favouritism so wrong? Favouritism or partiality or prejudice, I believe, blocks the avalanche of grace that is so freely available to every one of us. You and I are here today because of the grace of God. I still remember when I first got a revelation of the grace of God. I was a young adult at Black Stump Music and Arts Festival. Anyone remember that? Oh, look at all these oldies. <laughs> and um, at that point in time, I really felt that God was kind of, like I was a new Christian, but I felt like God was still angry at me. I didn't feel like he could ever forgive me. I felt condemned and really not free. Or I was learning what that felt like. And at this festival, Dr John Smith, who uh, was the author and co-founder of God Squad Christian Motorcycle Club. Anyone remember John Smith? He was, um, he was speaking a great message on grace and forgiveness. And probably for the first time in my life, I had this incredible revelation that I was truly forgiven. I was completely set free. I felt, I knew the grace of God. And all I could do was cry. I remember worshipping, I think Hillsong was leading, and I just, I just knew I was free, I was forgiven. It was the best feeling ever. So really, grace can be defined as the undeserved favour of God. And this is why favouritism is so wrong. Because favouritism can block the avalanche of grace which God has made available to everyone and which we must extend to others as God has extended to us. Can you see that? So James points out the stark contradiction in the behaviour of his readers. They cannot be believers in Jesus Christ, those who've received the grace of God, and yet not show it. They cannot keep showing favour towards the rich corrupt man and not show favour and love towards the guy on the street. Poor Rob. <laughs> He's allowed to do that. I'm going to show him favour. <laughs> Just one sip. This thought of looking after the poor is not new to the Jewish Christians. Deuteronomy 10.17 says this, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. The Jewish people know 
that they are not supposed to show partiality towards the rich versus the poor, and yet they've been doing that. James assumes that the faith of these people is genuine, but that the favouritism they display contradicts genuine faith, and so he calls them to repent and be transformed. So consider this, Jesus leaves heaven, all the glory and splendour of heaven. He comes to earth, he enters into the impoverished state of the human condition, he mixes with the poor, he lives amongst the poor, and then he returns to the glorious state of God in heaven, to his splendour and his majesty. So how can we identify with Jesus and not identify with the poor, who Jesus so humbly identified with? I'm asking myself this question as I ask you as well. This is why programs like Compassion are so good. This week, just on Friday, I got a, another photo of uh, one of our little Compassion children, Jedlin, who lives in the Philippines. And it was so beautiful to see how much she's grown up. We've probably got about five or six photos. It's beautiful to see how she's grown up. But I love uh, the motto of Compassion, releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. You know, we can't do everything, but we can do something. So contrary to the way that Jesus treated the poor, instead of honour and proximity, in this scenario, the poor man is assigned to a place of dishonour and distance, seated at their feet. James rebukes them for this effectively. In verse 4 he says, You have discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. And then I love God's promise that James mentions in verse 5. Don't worry, it gets better for you. Promise. James says this, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? Hmm. Interesting. I can honestly tell you, for anyone who's been on a short-term missions trip, that the richest faith I have ever seen is in the poorest people. And I know many of you have actually maybe lived overseas. Jeanette, somewhere here, has lived in Guinea. If you've seen poverty in its depth, but seen that richness of faith, you know this promise to be true. I remember in Thailand... um, a few of us had the privilege of going and visiting some people in sort of the northeast of Thailand. They were incredibly poor, but so rich in faith. I remember standing uh, in a worship service singing Darlene Czech's um, Shout to the Lord. They were singing in Thai. We were singing in English. And the faith of these people was like tangible. I remember sitting on people's floors praying for people, for one man who was actually critically ill. And you know what? The faith of that family, yes, they were saying goodbye to this father, this grandfather that they loved, but they knew where he was going. Their faith was rich. So this is a promise I've seen God work out. Poor physically, but rich in faith. Proverbs 14.21 says this, He who despises his neighbour sins against God and his fellow man, but happy Blessed and favoured by God is he who is gracious and merciful to the poor. That's a good promise. 
So here's the thing about riches. You should know this, Curdie. We cannot take them with us. And they can become a stumbling block to our faith. So James also, of course, brings a rebuke to the way that the believers treat the rich man. They look at him not according to his God-given status, but according to his wealth, his ostentatious attire, all that it represents. Those Adidas continentals. They may even be treating him a certain way because of what they can selfishly gain, right, from treating him that way. We can have an agenda in the way we treat people. Maybe we'll get something good out of it, just saying that. Here's the thing. Remember how Jesus spoke about the Pharisees and the scribes. In Matthew 23, 6 to 7, he says this. They love the place of honour at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. So let's fast forward to 2023, shall we? If we treat someone with wealth and influence with the same kind of partial prejudice and agenda as that of those believers that James is addressing here, we also sin, right? It's getting quiet in here. James couldn't really be more blunt in verse 9 when he says, but if you show favoritism, you sin. So here's the thing. We have a great welcome sign out the front. And I'm just going to ask you this as I ask myself. What if we didn't have favourites when it came to people? What if we loved everyone as we love ourselves? What if we truly laid down the welcome mat? What if we welcomed everyone with exactly the same measure, regardless of their tats, their piercings, the colour of their skin, their culture, how they grew up, the high school they went to, whether they were cool or not? What if we did that? Just asking for a friend. Love welcomes everyone. The gospel is for everyone. Jesus died for everyone, right? When love comes to town... We lay the welcome mat down. That's my first point. Then James goes on in the second part of this letter to talk about this. He says, living faith is expressed through good deeds. Now, this is kind of a contentious issue, but I really believe that Paul and James don't contradict each other in what they say. We know that Paul talks about salvation by faith and faith alone. That's true. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. What James says is, okay, you've got faith, show me it by your works. Otherwise, it's just a textbook faith, right? So it's important to remember who James is writing to here. He's writing to Jewish Christians. What's amazing is they've discovered the joy of salvation by faith. They've learned it's not by works, which in itself is almost a bit of a miracle. Praise God. They're free from the belief that they are made righteous by works. They understand the power of the finished work of Christ on the cross. The problem, however, is now that they have almost switched to the other side and feel works unimportant. They've gone to the other extreme. So this is what James is addressing here. 
There's a great expression I found that I think sums up what he's saying. It's this, faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is not alone. It has good works with it. It's true, isn't it? So the good works we do proves the character of our faith. Compare this passage in James with the following verses. So here's proof that Paul doesn't contradict what James says. Paul writes this in Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork. You probably know this verse really well. It's one of my favourites. Ephesians 2.10. We are God's handiwork. We're his masterpiece. The Greek word poema. You're his poem and he's still writing you. Isn't that beautiful? We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Then Titus 3.8 says this, This is a trustworthy saying and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. So we must have a living faith, living faith, a faith that's alive, that it expresses itself through life. And a living faith cares about the lives of others. Living faith, real faith, is always demonstrated by action. It's as simple as this. We cannot pretend to have faith while showing no kindness or mercy towards others. That's not real faith. That's a textbook faith. So faith is really a principle of the mind or the heart, isn't it? But it can only be seen or discerned by its effect, that is, by good works. So for James, works means a life of loving God and loving others. And loving others means, means deeds of compassion and mercy towards those in need. So in verses 18 to 19, we see what James is saying. His argument is logical and clear. It's impossible to see someone's faith, but we can see their works. You could put it this way. We cannot see faith without works, but we can dem demonstrate the reality of faith by works. It's true, isn't it? Thanks, Mary, for keeping up with all the slides too, by the way. We cannot see faith without works, but we can demonstrate the reality of faith by works. It's so true. You know, I can remember very clearly, again, as a young Christian, actually it was before I became a Christian, we were um, moving apartments. My flatmate and I were moving from Summerhill to Ashfield to Orpington Street. And a bunch of um, Christians from the church, young adults, came and helped us move. Probably about eight or ten of them. And this was before I got saved. And I remember them just all turning up and helping pack up. And I thought to myself, why are they doing this? And um, Steve came with his trolley to help move the fridge. Little did he know he was going to be moving my furniture for the rest of his life. <laughs> Poor guy. But it really made an impression on me. These guys gave up their whole day just to help us. Why? Because faith is expressed in deeds. So I want to encourage you. Who knows what your deeds, done in faith, done in love, who knows how that might impact someone watching? Because it made a huge impression on me. 
they demonstrated their faith by works, by selfless actions. So if the team wants to come up, watch what James says here in verses 20 to 22. This is his last point in this part of the letter. He says, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. So James's point here is that Abraham's faith co-worked with his works in the sense that they intermingled with each other. Abraham's faith worked itself out in works, if you like. It was a working faith. I love this thought. It was a working faith, not faith plus works. Saving faith is a trusting faith that flows into deeds of mercy. A very well-behaved homeless man, I have to say. (laughs) Help yourself. I know you're hungry. You look hungry, man. Must be a long time since you've had a proper meal. Yeah, I thought so. It looks like it. It's interesting that James compares Abraham, the father of the Jews, and Rahab, a Gentile. Both demonstrate a living faith. Both had faith and trust in God and acted accordingly and in obedience to their faith. Rahab, of course, showed that she trusted this God, the God of of the Israelites, by hiding their spies. And then she sought salvation from God. You know, that's that's another whole sermon when she lets scarlet cord down and her whole family um, are saved. That's the saving work of Christ, really. It's another whole sermon. But her faith in God literally saved her since she had a living faith. She did something with it. So my first point this morning, let love rule your life. In so many, there is in so many ways, so many things can rule our lives. What if we just let love rule our lives? All the fear, anxiety disappears. We know what we need to do. It's just simple. Love your neighbour as yourself. And then secondly, James says, living faith expresses itself through good deeds. So here's the thing, what does this guy who lives under the bridge somewhere in Sydney, what does he really need? Platitudes? Go well, mate, I'm going to pray for you. Will that actually help him? Prayer certainly does. (laughs) What does he really need? What he really needs is love expressing itself in actions. Maybe you could buy him a hot cup of coffee. That might help him. Maybe, I notice he's got no shoes Maybe you might actually give him your shoes. Maybe you might feel led to give him a mountains care pack. Maybe you might even have the opportunity to to meet with him regularly and give him a pack. Maybe you might even have the opportunity to build a friendship with him and lead him to Christ. How good would that be? I want to encourage you, I want to stir you. Whatever Holy Spirit stirs you to do this week, next week, the following week, remember, faith is expressed through good deeds. We're not saying that those good deeds save you. It's faith. But living faith is expressed through good deeds. 
So would you let me pray for you as we finish up this morning? Father God, I just thank you. Thank you, Lord. You are a good, good Father. Thank you, God. Lord, we just, we're reminded this morning of the grace that saved us, that undeserved favour that you offered to us, that was poured out towards us on the cross. And so, Lord, we want to walk in your grace and in your favour this week, next week. I thank you, Lord, that you've fully forgiven us. You've set us free. Lord, I pray for anyone today sitting here, anyone watching online who feels condemnation. We stand against condemnation. We thank you, Lord, whom the Son has set free, is free indeed. And Lord, just as we've received this grace and this favour, may we this week extend (laughs) the grace and favour of God to others. We don't want to be guilty of prejudice or favoritism, Lord God. We want to extend the same favour and grace that you've poured out on us to others. So thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you that you're, you're the one who disturbs our comfort for a reason, that we might be obedient to you, that we might display your goodness through our actions, that we might be the light. Lord Jesus, you said we are the light of the world. May we be your light this week. And we thank you, Lord, that you've done everything, everything to make a way for us back to relationship with you. May we show that to others this week. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to encourage you this week uh, as you go about to just let the Holy Spirit lead you. And if you need prayer for anything this morning, anything at all, after the service, we would love to pray for you.